week, we got to get into a lot of the details of his life. I'm going to review that lesson and then add some new things in there as well. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and if you wonder, I do use the uh, NIV version. We're learning about Abraham today. By faith, Abraham, when he called, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign con- country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the, to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. That's the reading of God's word. We honor that. Think about this for a few moments. Abraham, he's a man of faith. He's back in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that he had so much faith that he not only was looking for the promised land, Dad, but he was looking for New Jerusalem. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. As you're turning to Revelation 21, keep in mind what it said there in verse 10 of Hebrews. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. When the Jewish people went into the promised land, was the architect Jesus? No, that city was not built directly by Jesus, was it? Think about it. Those temple grounds, that uh, amazing wall, all that they built there, that wasn't built by Jesus. But what is built by Jesus? Look at Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the what city? Thank you. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of where? Coming down out of heaven from God. Woo, come on somebody. Hebrews is teaching us, now looking back on Abraham's life, that Abraham was not just having faith for the promised land and the nation of Israel, but he was having faith for heavenly Jerusalem. Now let me explain why that's so important. When Adam and Eve had sinned, they had gotten kicked out of the garden. Humanity now was cursed, and it would have to go through a hardship to see just a taste of what God had originally put there. And even now to this day, that curse remains. If we want to see just a taste of the garden or the fruit and all of that, we have to work and we have to toil. Just get around some farmers and see how hard it is to get that apple that you and I eat. When you think about all that we have gone through, it's nothing in comparison or what we have uh, suffered. It's nothing in comparison to what the new heaven is actually going to be like. So it's better to suffer now and to get a new heavenly place. Now, when these new humanity, these humans, these, these new creatures of God were upon the earth, instead of honoring God, they dishonor God, they live with the curse, God begins to deal with them. But they don't listen. If you remember Cain and Abel, the brothers, the first children of uh, Adam and Eve, Cain kills Abel. We see murder. We see disobedience. And so what do we see? The earth is full of violence, all of these problems. Heaven's not on earth. It's gone. And now what do we see after that? We go into Noah's generation, and we see that out of all of these people that are on the earth, only Noah, his wife, his three, his three boys, and their wives are living for Jesus. That's a total of eight people, and God's good with judging the rest of them. We've studied about this. How many know these stories? 
We talked about the story of Noah's flood not being looked at as a bath toy for our children, but rather an ark that probably had nail marks on the, end, uh, on, on the outside of it as people tried to claw to get in as man, woman, and child, and beast died upon the earth. Our God judges. You better be ready for that. Amen? And so what we see is God is serious. And so then out of that ark comes the family. But what happens immediately after this? Noah gets drunk. He gets drunk. I know some of you had a Memorial Day uh, weekend. Anybody there get drunk? You know, Cousin Flacco, one of the uncles, you know, people get drunk. But imagine getting drunk after God just judged the earth. And then his son sees him naked, doesn't cover him up. His brothers have to cover him up. Now he's cursed. Are you all listening to me? The curses, and it comes upon his children. And then a few chapters later, it's the Tower of Babel. That's where we get this idea, hey, man, stop babbling. The Tower of Babel was a place where humanity wanted to make a tower to reach towards heaven. They're like, man, we're tired of hell on earth. We might as well get to heaven and live up there for a while. But they don't do it with the heart of God, the heart for God. They don't do it with the heart of humility. They do it out of pride. So God curses them again and gives them languages, and then by languages they spread across the earth and have culture. According to the Bible, language was what caused us division at first. And then because we were separated by our language, we became homogeneous groups. So if you want to know what color Adam and Eve were, more than likely they were a mixture of dark and light, a middle brown. Because then as humanity went in its own ways and were homogeneous groups, certain cultures had isolated dark colors. Certain cultures had, dark, had isolated light colors, and then others stayed middle brown. You couldn't get a light color if Adam and Eve were always dark, and you couldn't get a, a dark color if they were always white in their genes. Are you listening to me? Everybody say, I learned something. We don't have to believe from the goo to the zoo to you. We can believe God made us and see all the variation. Joe, do you believe in evolution? Yes, I believe things change, but not that you came from a monkey. A dog will change over time. A dog in a hot place will have less hair. A dog in a cold place will have more hair. How many know that? That's, that's the things that are built into our genes. So God made us to have variety. So there come the different cultures. But yet the Bible says most of these cultures now all turn to idolatry. And if you want to understand why there's a comparative study of religions in most colleges, it's because they all come back to the same root of, of Adam and Eve and through Noah and through the Tower of Babel. That's why almost every one of the world's cultures, from the Na Native Americans to the Mesopotamians, they have the belief in a worldwide flood. Why is that? That's because that's what they told each other. We came from a place where the world was all destroyed. And they all have stories of a united humanity. They also have a lot of them in common, the, the stories of human history and of sin. That's why they have sacrifice. Some are sacrificing the villagers down the road, but they still have an idea of blood sacrifice. Can I hear an amen? We're not intimidated by a comparative religion. It's because they have the same root. But what's the original? It's the Bible. So they're going astray. Now what does God do? He picks out Abraham. He calls him out. Look back at this passage now in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Now go to Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of the book. Why does God call out Abraham? 
Abraham caught the attention of God. More than likely, he was a righteous man like Noah in his generation, like Enoch and the other heroes of faith. He must have caught God's attention. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God says basically, in other words, with you, I'm going to start an entire nation where I can start bringing heaven on earth. If you're in Genesis 12, chapter 12, somebody say, I'm there. Thank you. The Lord said to Abram, this was his name before changed to Abraham. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so he got on a ship and went to America. Is that what happened to blessed land of America? No. He's going now to Israel. Israel is the only land that God has promised to bless, but if any land blesses Israel, God says he'll bless them. America has been blessed in many ways throughout its history, despite many of its, its troubles, because she has blessed Israel. Study the history of how the United States has been on Israel's side in many places and in many ways, and it's because of promises like this. God now says to this person, coming from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is out of the area of Babylon, where there are idolaters, God says to him, now leave this land and go to that land, and I'm going to make you a great nation. This is the first time God, Genesis 12, this is the first time God now speaks about a nation being blessed. All up until this point, he's looking for individuals. Now there's coming a nation. But what is interesting about this, what we just read, and we went to Revelation to see the confirmation of it, is God is not just giving Abraham the revelation of this place called Israel. He's also giving him the revelation of heaven on earth. Remember, we just read there in Hebrews. Just hold your place there in Genesis for me, please, and just go right back to Hebrews. This is where it gets a little bit hard, and I thank God for the karaoke screen that may come back a little sooner than later now because <laughs> there's a lot of tabs on that Bible program that we have. When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, look at it again there in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, why did I go through that history? Because this is important. I think when Abraham was called by God to go to the promised land, I think he thought heaven was coming to earth. I think when Eve had her firstborn, she thought that was the Messiah. I think when we look back at these people and what they were going through, they thought that everything would be resolved in their lifetime. And before you go, oh, silly Abraham, silly uh, uh, Eve, silly this person, how many of you think Jesus is coming back in your lifetime? <laughs> Almost all generations from old to new have always believed this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. But how many know there's going to be a lot of humanity, a lot of time that's going to pass between when Abraham gets the promise to when we see the new Jerusalem come from heaven to earth? If you put Abraham around, say, 3,000 B.C., we're now 2,080. That's 5,000 years still waiting on that promise. But we're not to be anxious. We're to trust God. 
Abraham, now going back to the passage of Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is an example not just for Jewish people to believe that one day they'll have a promised land, which we'll get into that story in just a few moments, but he's also a promise for us who are still waiting for the heavens to open up and heaven to come down on earth. Brothers and sisters, heaven is not our home. Heaven is our retreat. It is our retreat center. It is our vacation. Do you know where our home is? On earth in heavenly Jerusalem, ruling and reigning with Christ. We get back what Adam and Eve lost. Just go there with me as well as I see some blank stares. Well, I thought heaven's where we spend eternity and we become naked little baby angels that flap wings. At least that's what Aguila told me when I looked into her bathroom and I saw the pictures of the cherubs there. Did anybody else's grandma have naked baby angels? Come on. Come on. We know, we know my Italian grandma had some naked baby, angel, naked baby angels. Because that's what we think heaven is. Naked baby angels. And we think that's what we become. And don't tell me uh, you know, who started the idea of making them fountains in our gardens if you know where the water comes out. It's either the mouth or the other place. And we made this a part of our art. But that's not what heaven's about. Heaven's about mighty, wonderful creatures. Sometimes people think those creatures are weird. And I'm like, have you ever seen a giraffe? That's weird. <laughs> have you ever seen a seahorse? That's weird. We live with weird creatures all the time, and we think they're normal. Trust me, a, 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 a four-headed angel will seem normal to you once you see them. A six-winged creature with eyes all over them will look normal to you once you see them. Because they're made in the image that God wanted them to be. We're made in the image of him. Who knows what was on his mind when he made it, but he made him in some kind of an image. Part man, part beast, part this. Well, there's the angel. And he, and he designed them. But he did it out of his imagination. And how many know God has an amazing imagination? Just look at your neighbor and say, you're special. God made you unique. No one is like you. You're a unique snowflake for Jesus. Every snowflake is unique and special. Now look at Revelation chapter 22. Does anybody's uh, Bible have a heading before chapter 22 verse 1? Eden restored. Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Oh yeah, I heard about that. That was back in the day there was water that came up from the earth back then. Oh yeah, clear as crystal flowing, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the great street there. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Wow, anybody hear of the tree of life? That's in the first chapter of the Bible. Now, this is the last chapter of the Bible. Any coincidence there? No, our God must like rivers and trees of life and gardens. We don't have to go through it all. But, but it says that there's now these trees and this fruit that is there and the leaves that bring, uh, you know, the healing of the nations, that we all get along, that we live there with God. That's the plan of eternity. But go back to Genesis chapter 12. God's saying, I'm starting heaven off with this man and this nation. And then what's going to happen? Abraham's going to have Isaac and then Jacob, the 12 tribes. Then they're going to live in uh, Egypt for a time. And then they're going to get delivered out of Egypt by Moses and then brought into the promised land. But whoops, there's a problem. What's going on in the promised land? There's people living there. Sometimes people say, well, that's where the conquistadors got the idea from. See, God told these people to take over their land. That's why the conquistadors said, we're going to take over your land. Er, that's wrong. Conquistadors go to hell if they do it that way because the Bible's against that. The only reason why God in the Old Testament said that's their, uh, the Jewish people's land, even though there's others there, is because they were wicked and evil and it was time to judge them. The Native Americans did not deserve the judgment of God. Can I hear an amen to that? 
conquistadors looking at America as their promised land, taking that over, saying, you don't get it. That's not how it works. God gave Israel a direct word. They were sacrificing their children. They were worshiping idols. God had been patient with them, and they had not listened. And God said, take them out. And that's why you have the story of Jericho and the walls coming down. How many believe that story happened? Amen. We're not ashamed of our God and our Bible. And guess what? He's going to take out some more people when he comes back, when he judges the earth. You're going to watch judgment again, brothers and sisters, one way or another. So get right with God. That's my word to you today. That's why we honor the sacrifice of Jesus. But notice this. Abram, being then named Abraham later, at this time is 75 years old, doesn't even have a child. And God says to him, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Keep on going now into verse 4. So Abram went, chapter 12 of verse 4 in Genesis, and the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham, or Abram rather, was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's who they're going to end up having to deal with later on. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's no temples in that day. It's literally just a stone altar, and that's where they would make their sacrifices. That's where they would give their gifts to the Lord, just like in the time of Cain and Abel. And I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And we could continue on through all the different stories that he has, but Go to Hebrews. Why does the the author in the New Testament tell us this story about Abram, that he left his family? He becomes known as Abraham, as the father father of promise. And then he eventually, as I said, has Isaac and Jacob, and he's looking forward to this city. Why is this man, uh, who I believe Paul in Hebrews, teaching us about Abraham? Is because we're still waiting for the promise of the promised land of heaven coming to earth. Has everything on earth turned into heaven yet? Weren't we taught by Jesus to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. So today, brothers and sisters, we're like Abraham here. We're strangers in a strange land looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for that. And so I can find encouragement from the story of Abram Because if God picked him at 75 to have children, I can believe God for the impossible in my life. Isaac becomes known as a child of promise. Let's look at it. Sarah, who was known as Sarai back then, Sarah in verse 11 had faith. Even Sarah had faith, who was past childbearing age. And and by the way, my mother's 80 years old, so about five years younger than this, she'd be looking out to have a child. How many know that would take a miracle? Amen. You know, it would still be a good day for my dad. He would come home and say, hey, this is what God wants us to do because it's not going to be a virgin birth. How many know it's not going to be a virgin birth? And dad, are you 75? How old are you? 77. Look at that. So that would just be like my mom and dad having a baby. That would be a miracle, right? So the Bible says Sarah had to have faith too. Look at it. Sarah, who was past, past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Wow. Sarah considered God faithful? Yeah. But it's also after she laughed at God. How many remember the story when she laughed at God? If you don't, I'll just tell it to you quickly. When God came and reappeared to Abraham and she was there with the two angels and said, by this time next year, you're going to have children, she started laughing. 
But you know what? She didn't quit. You know, sometimes we laugh at the promises of God, don't we? Sometimes we think it's ridiculous. God, you're going to do this? No way. That's not, that's crazy. That can't happen. But yet God's sense of humor, right, is our promises sometimes. And as some people say, you know, we make plans, God laughs. That's his sense of humor. I mean, he laughs when we make our plans. Sometimes we laugh at God's promises and God laughs at our plans. We need to get on the same page. Amen? We're making our plans. Well, I'm going to be married at this age. I'm going to have a house at this age. And God's like, none of that's coming to pass, by the way. <laughs> Angels, listen to that. And then we hear what God says. Well, we're going to go do this, and God wants us to go do that. Open up a Bible study in our home or be a teacher or get married or have a lot of kids. And we look at God going, no way. I have six children now by God's grace. I guarantee you, before I became a Christian and understand God's will for my life, I would have laughed at you if you ever would have said I would have six kids. Seriously, I would be like, what, on accident with six different women? What are you talking about? I was a wicked sinner. I wasn't always your pastor. And my parents can say what? Amen. Can you say amen to that? Mom and dad, was I always a Christian? <laughs> Selling drugs, doing drugs, messing around with women, doing all kinds of things. Six kids, what are you talking about? That would make me laugh. Like, you're kidding me. But God did it. Bible college for my life, going to become a doctor and all of those things in that degree of a doctorate. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. But God did it. I don't know what's standing in front of you right now. You might even think it's hilarious. But if it's God's plan for your life, it will come to pass. Sometimes I look at where my friends have ended up in the ministry. It's like, man, I never would have pictured you there, but God had a place for them. And then I look at those who have come into this church, and if you were asking me who am I picking first on my team, many of them I wouldn't have picked first on my team. I'll just tell a testimony here about two precious couples in our church. When we first started in our house, we had Jessica and Salvador who came to our church because they knew I was a youth pastor months earlier. And everybody else had moved on and life had gone back to normal. And I had told those people in that church, stay there, don't worry about trying to find me. But these guys, basically, they were just like, you're the only pastor that I really know, so what you do, I want to do with you. Is that okay? If I was picking anybody, <laughs> it just makes me laugh as I think about this. Priest play for me as a pastor, okay? If I was picking anybody that I was pastoring at the former church I worked at to be on my team, Jessica and Salvador, I didn't even know their names. They would not even, <laughs> y'all don't love me as a pastor right now, but I have to confess this to you, okay? I, w I didn't even know their name, so if I was making a wish list, oh, dear Jesus, oh, please send so-and-so with me, I wouldn't even have known to say their names. I didn't even know their names. Are you guys tracking with me? Somebody say, Mui Mall. Okay, say, Pastor Mui Mall. <laughs> Very bad pastor. Shame on me. But you know what? They just kind of came around. Hey, man, you're our pastor. Well, go back over there. There's pastors over there. No, we want to be where you're at. Okay, well, I'm doing a Bible study. Well, where's the Bible study? It's in my house. Okay. You sure? Yeah, I'll be there. Showed up. First day. Remember this. Come on, Nancy. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way they're coming back. Dude, there's no way. Next week, they came back. The next week, they came back. Brothers and sisters, they were here in the first service. They have been with us now for almost 20 years. Faithful. Every week. How many love Jessica and Salvador? And they know me well enough to know that I mean this in love. They are the least offended people. Imagine me pastoring you for 20 years, how easygoing you have to be at some point. Because I offended so many of their friends along the way. But it's like, no, we're here. We're going. We're going where you go. We're staying with you. We're going to be here. Years. Faithfulness. You see, God will pick the most unlikely people 
to do the most unlikely things. All during the time that I've been a pastor, oh, man, I've had people better speakers than me, better singers than any of our worship leaders here. And I love Des and Jerry and all that. But I'm talking like the best of the best have always come through here. But they only last just a short amount of time. So many make promises. They don't keep it. It's because they don't see the promise of the Lord. They don't know how to do what God said for them to do. And here's another couple, or specifically an individual. As we started Bible college, it was my wife and a few students. If you would have asked me out of that group who I would want to be my administrator, Lauren would not even be on the list. I would not think of Lauren that way. Lauren was the backslidden Christian girl that I just helped come to know Jesus who threw down cigarettes at my altar. There was no way in my mind this is the one. There are others who I wish I could name their names, but they're not even serving the Lord now. That were heads and shoulders above Lauren. And even when it came time, just a few years ago, after like my third admin had quit, I almost put someone ahead of Lauren that would have been my worst decision ever as a pastor. I can't even say this to you right now without smiling, but it would have been one of the worst decisions of my life as a pastor. God spared me. Thank you, Jesus. But right before we made this decision, Nancy was like, let's pray about it. Let's do this, this, and this. And we prayed about it, and we felt it was Lauren. Lauren has now been our administrator for over five years, and she is the best administrator I have ever worked with in my entire life. In my life! I've never worked with someone like her. And, Dad, you know I've worked with great administrators from New Orleans days to SUM and so forth. She is such a top-tier leader, but wasn't even on my list. Brothers and sisters, what you're supposed to get from this lesson is not just that I'm a terrible people person. What you're supposed to get from this lesson is God chooses Abrams all the time. God chooses Sarah's all the time. And I guarantee you, if you would ask Jessica and Salvador and Lauren at the time when they first started coming to the church, if they believed they would be what they are now, they would have laughed right at you. Jessica and Salvador, you're going to be the founding members of a church that's going to touch the city and to touch the world. You're the founding members. They would have looked at you and laughed and like, are you kidding? No way, dude. I'm just following this guy because I don't know where else to go to church. There's no way I'm going to be a founding member. That's, there's no way I'm going to be one of the most important people that have ever come to this church that have remained faithful. If you would have gone to Lauren the day that she was there throwing away her cigarettes, going, you're going to be the right-hand administrator to all that's being done in this church. You're going to have the bird's eye view of everything and be looked up to by all the pastors and leaders and be the one in charge of all these things. She would have laughed. No way. That's not even me. I don't have the confidence to do that. I don't have the ability in my own self to do that. But God chooses people like that all the time. I can see my mom and dad sitting here as well talking about myself here. If they, the, our friends and family, outside of the prophetic ministry of Jesus, if, if there would have been people in the youth group picked who would be a pastor, you know I'm not getting picked. There's so many of my friends that would have been picked. This one, that one, this one. But so many, so many of those guys are not even serving Jesus today. And where's Joe preaching and pastoring? Oh, but I thought so-and-so. I thought this was the one. He was in the master's commission. He was Pastor Tim. We called him PT, our youth pastor. He was PT's favorite. It's so funny. Pastor Ray, I met. He's our missionary that we support, uh, Faith Tabernacle there in, in the Philippines. 
I met him at my parents' home church, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Assembly of God there. It's funny because last time he was here, he was uh, doing some leadership work with us, and he told a story, and he thought that I was in the story because uh, there was a group of young people that hung out with Pastor T, uh, uh, P, uh, Pastor Tim PT, and he goes, oh, you remember this, you remember this, and I go, bro, I wasn't in that inner circle. <laughs> I, I was the, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer hanging out way over there. Nobody put me in that circle. I said, brother, I wasn't there at the time you guys were all hanging. I, I wasn't there. But here I am, pastoring. I remember when I first got saved and started feeding the needy, I had one of those young men, one of PT's favorite, uh, working with me. My mom knows him, red-haired young man. And uh, he was working with me. Doing the feeding of the, men, uh, the needy. We'd go out to the projects. We, I would do roofing and, and side jobs. I'd work at a, at a pizza joint. And I would take that money and just go give it away. I had to, man. I just felt in my heart I had to give it away. And uh, he was working with me. And he was one of PT's right-hand men. He was a, uh, an honorable guy. Everybody loved him. And I remember one of the times he brought some of the kids from the youth group there. And they, they uh, had to get trained before they went out, and I would preach to them. And I remember saying to him, now listen, before we go out here and start preaching to them, I'm going to preach to you right now. And I would preach with a rag like this, like, <laughs> like as if they hadn't been preached to ever before. Like basically like as if they were sinners on their way to hell, you know. If you're making out and doing stuff with your girlfriend, you're not supposed to. You're being ungodly, touching and doing it. You're going to hell. And if you're drinking and getting drunk, you're going to hell. You know, I was just preaching at them. I'm telling you. Somebody say it's, it's tight, but it's right. And so at, at the end of that, at the end of that outreach, my friend said to me, hey, none of these guys want to come back anymore. <laughs> they don't want to come back, dude. Like, they don't like that intensity. They thought they were just going out to do the goodwill thing, you know, go feed the needy, a little soup kitchen, a little scratch that little religious itch of I got to help somebody and do something nice. They don't want you to tell them they're going to hell and they got to be held accountable. That was the very start of my discipleship ministry. And this is what I said to him. I said, brother... They either get right or they don't come back because I'm not changing. And then this is what he said to me. God is my witness. My mom would remember this, or at least knowing that I went through it. I said to him, I said, well, then what about you, bro? Are you going to follow them? Are you out? And this is what he said to me. He said, hey, man, I don't know how to do this without them. Those are my friends. And he left me from that day forward. As years have gone by, he has called me at different times or texted me and said, man, I miss being in the ministry. He went to Bible college, and he didn't do nothing with it. And he said, man, I miss what we were doing. I wish I could go back, and I always encourage him, go back to what God told you to do. You see, I was the most unlikely of that youth group. I was the most unlikely in the church. You see these people in, in our, our story that we just told, Jessica and Salvador, the most unlikely, Lauren, the most unlikely. And if you were to go around here and talk to more people, I'm sure you're the most unlikely of your family. I'm sure if we talked to people 10 years ago and say, hey, would you be in church? Would you be the deacon? Would you be the worship leader? They'd be looking at you going, of course this one won't do it. Man, I could see 10 other cousins doing it, not this one. Can anybody relate to that? Come on, somebody. But God calls unlikely people. Look at that story of Abram. Go back to Genesis, uh, Hebrews, rather. He picks him out, 75 years old. You're the one. Who, me? Yeah, you. Now leave your family. Bring your wife. What are we going to do? You're going to have children. What? I'm 75. And then God waits till he's basically 99 years old to get him to conceive with his wife. So it's like he has to wait 25 years for the promise to come to pass. But notice this in verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, sorry mom and dad, but I guess that's people in their 70s and 80s according to the Bible, as good as dead, 
came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You ever look out to the night sky and see some stars? The Bible says that now there's more people of God than that. You ever look down at a beach and see all the sand? There's now more people of God than that. Just right now on this planet, if you put everybody together, Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, you have almost 3 billion Christians, 3 billion, that's in this generation, and now you can look back through those thousands of years, how many people have come to know God because of Abraham's faithfulness. See, the story of Abraham is to teach us that God will pick the most unlikely so that he gets all the glory. God is not looking for the equipped. He's looking for the obedient. God is not looking for those among us that we would say are noble or are qualified, but he's looking for those in heaven that say yes. Have your prayers gone to heaven with a blank check. That's what it means to live for God is you send up to heaven your blank check. And checks, young people, are things that people used to use to write on to give money one to another. And if you didn't balance your checkbook correctly, those checks would become like basketballs and they would bounce. And banks weren't so nice back then with these uh, fees. They were expensive and they were embarrassing because you never knew when you would be found out that you didn't have money in that bank, that you were cashing, you were writing checks that your bank couldn't cash for you. You see, what is heaven like? Heaven's a place where people say yes to God. And so what is heaven like coming to earth? When people on earth say yes to God. See, Jesus said, pray for heaven to come to earth. In heaven, is anybody arguing with God over genders? Is anybody arguing with God over genders in heaven? No, so he doesn't want the argument here. He wants obedience. Is any angel arguing with God about whether or not they're going to go and do such and such a thing? No, God wants obedience here on earth. In heaven, is there anybody doubting whether or not Jesus loves them? No, so on earth, he doesn't want us to doubt. On earth as it is in heaven... Oh, well, pastor, if we just become so heavenly-minded, we'll be of no earthly good. We've got to be realistic, not according to the Bible. Realism is God's reality. Our fears, our worries are not greater than God's reality. This does not mean mind over matter, that we deny our problems for service by God's grace. I talked about taking the cup of suffering as Jesus did going to the cross. We are to be ready to suffer in this world. Take up our cross and follow Jesus. So please don't get it twisted. This is not a yellow brick road singing in the rain religion to heaven. That's not what we're teaching. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, your reality must match God's reality. So whenever we face our problems, our faith must be greater than the facts we're facing. It's a fact that I have challenges in my life, but by faith I can overcome every one of those challenges. It's a fact that this church is not a 100,000 yet, but I have faith that God can fill up Soldier Stadium with Christians more than he did, or the devil did rather, for Taylor Swift this past weekend. How many believe God can do it? Because we have faith. We're not denying the facts. Taylor Swift's on top right now. She's on top. She got the audience. She's got the game. She's got the influence. I'm not denying that. But I have faith to believe we can do that for Christ. I believe that people can flood into this city for Lollapalooza like they flooded in uh, for her thing. They'll flood into Lollapalooza to go preaching the gospel. 
I would love for us as Christians to outnumber those at Lollapalooza. I would love for everybody coming to Lollapalooza to say, what in the world is going on here? Every corner I go to, I see Chicago for Jesus shirts. I'm seeing preachers handing out the gospel until the point is when they come to Lollapalooza, it's synonymous with hearing the gospel. Until they now say, hey, you got so many people here, you might as well come on the stage and lead us in a few worship songs. So then we'll just say to U2 or to, you know, Blink-182 or whatever's popular these days, you know, hey, it's our turn now. Thank you very much. And it's okay if you like some of the bands there because I know I did last year. I was like, oh, they're playing? Oh, they're pretty cool. I want to just kind of scoot over here to this part of the venue just so I can hear them while I'm preaching to you. But what I did as a, as a testimony is I preached to them about my rock and roll heroes that are now gone. Soundgarden committed suicide. Kurt Cobain committed suicide. The, the lead singer of Linkin Park, see these guys that I listen to, committed suicide. All three of them. And I said, if rock and roll makes you happy, why are our best committing suicide? Think about that, brothers and sisters. If rock and roll is supposed to make you happy, then why are the best dying? And even with the dance community, one of the uh, biggest dance uh, uh, DJs took his own life. Rock and roll won't make you happy, only Jesus Christ. Amen? But if you can have Jesus Christ with some rock and roll, how many would do that? And I know they have more than just rock and roll there, but it was started by Perry Farrell, which was one of my idols as a young person, a lead singer of Jane's Addiction. And that was one of the people that I looked up to. Now I see all these young people going to a thing that I used to idolize as a kid and how big this has become. And I can't help but think about all the stories and the people I've lost along the way that followed the lifestyle of Perry Farrell. Yeah, he's still alive right now, but the people who followed the drugs, like how he did it, the people that, like uh, the lead singer of uh, um, Alice in Chains dying of drug overdose and all these grunge artists that were around at that time in the 90s, grunge music and alternative music, I think about their lives and how they didn't make it. How many have lost some people along the way? Most of you, it's not from rock and roll, right? <laughs> how about urban violence? Anybody lose some friends to urban violence? Even in Fort Wayne, I lost a few friends to urban violence. Is there a big rap concert like there is for Lollapalooza for rock and roll? Or is that just kind of like brought into different things? I know Travis Scott did one. But isn't it something? Notice this now, by the way. The rock and roll and the rappers have one thing in common, and what is that? And even pop music now, Satanism. How many have now seen a revitalization of Satanism in pop music, rap music, and of course in rock and roll? It's all over the place now. Don't you think Satan's trying to send us a message? At first, he got the people to be atheists. Hey, don't believe in God. Don't believe in me either. But now he's like, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to show you that people believe in me. There are now more witches in Wiccan in the United States of America than there are Presbyterians, and that was one of the mainline denominations. There are now over one million practicing witches in the United States of America. Pray for our nation. Amen? Going back to this passage, look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. Just a little review, just a little review. We're going to get to the message, the new stuff. Let's keep going. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't it amazing 
that the whole story about Abraham thus far is to encourage us to believe for the new Jerusalem to come to earth. If I gave you a Bible quiz after reading this, most here, because I just say this as a nice professor, would have failed that question. What is the main point of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8, all the way to 16? Most of you would say, God's starting the nation of Israel. That's the point, because that's what Abraham was supposed to do. No, that's not the point. The point, according to God in the scripture, is it's about waiting for heavenly Jerusalem to come down. Now, let's be honest. Some of you have read that and missed it. It went right over your head. Oh, I thought this was just telling me that, you know, God established Israel through Abraham. No, it's telling you to wait for heavenly Jerusalem just as he was waiting for it. That's why when the Israelites had the temple and they had the land and they had David, guess what? They still didn't have heaven on earth. I talked about this in first service as well. A lot of people want to make me or pastors or leaders or superstars, they're Davids, they're Samsons. But what does the Bible show us happens to Samsons and Davids? They fail you and let you down. What we are supposed to understand is that we don't need a pastor. We don't need another president in that sense. We don't need those people to be our saviors. We need Jesus Christ and the cross on which he died for us to be the salvation for our souls. We need to stop looking to others. And here's what we're supposed to be seeing right now. You're not supposed to look at your job, your promotion, my family, your progress with your family, and all of these things going, well, that's heaven on earth. Look, look, look at my children. Look at my finances. That's heaven on earth. No, you're supposed to see beyond your wife, beyond your children, beyond your blessings that God has a real heaven to put on earth. Otherwise, these things become idols because now when it's time for me to take a mission trip, well, do I have faith like Abraham had faith and, and, and take my family and go to another nation that's not mine? Or do I now have to get scared and say, well, maybe, maybe it's not safe there. Maybe the water's not safe, so I'm not going to bring my family with me. That's what we now do, isn't it? We take these blessings of God and we make them idols. Okay, so it's time to give to missions. Okay, and the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. I want you to give 500, 1,000, 200, 20 bucks, whatever is outside of your normal giving. The Lord says to do that. And you say, God, you can have my heart, but not my wallet. My wallet belongs to me. And that's why I put it right back here so I can keep it safe. And God says, get it away from your backside and put it in my hand. Take it out of your blankety blank and put it in God's hand. Are you listening to me? Get it out your butt. That's about as PG as I can bring it right now. You understand? Get your finances out of your butt and give it to God and his hands. Oh, no, I can't do that. How dare you ask me to do that? God, I've worked hard. I've done this. I don't even know those missionaries. Where's your faith? Do you know that this year alone, by God's grace, we've given almost $30,000 to missionaries, more than we've ever given before. To the Philippines, almost $10,000 just that past month. You guys made that possible. And right now, I'm hearing like never before, houses, land, promotion, and financial increase from people in this church. Not only in your life am I seeing people with houses, land, and increase, but our church, who never asks outside ministers for money, has been given to us multiple times thousands of dollars by people who don't even go to this church. One minister gave us $5,000 to spend on Chicago for Jesus, and I didn't even know him. He's like, here's a check. You want to get to know me? And I'm like, I, I kind of want to know you now. But then I feel like that's a bribe. <laughs> but he's like, well, I just want to give it to you, but I still want to know you. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get to know each other. Then I'm like, you're an amazing guy, by the way. 
And I didn't just say that because he gave us a bunch of money and I didn't know him. I'm just like, you're awesome. I didn't even know about you doing all these things. And you love us and you wanted to give us finances so we could do X, Y, and Z. And now he's bringing a team down. And I'll tell the full story when he's here presently uh, with us in the next few weeks. But I was like, you're awesome. God is doing this. Yeah, God just put you on my heart. I'm like, how did you know how to do this? But it was the time that we were given the most we've ever given to missions. You have to let go of what's in your hands so that God can let go of what's in his. If you hold on to your few pennies, God can't give you his Amex black. Brothers and sisters, if you don't let go of that bad relationship, you can never get the husband or wife that God has for you. If you don't take away the children's pad, they can never get the Bible. If you don't start prioritizing your family with God, then don't blame me when your family falls apart. Pastor, fix us. Here we are. Fix us. Let's first fix what made you a mess. Because if we don't fix what made you a mess, we'll be doing a whole lot of fixing around here. Well, what made you a mess as it comes to find out Six Flags was more important than church. That's all right. You weren't here. And then, oh, you had to do this on this day. That's why you couldn't go to your life group. Oh, and then you didn't want to believe this about the, the commands of God because you have a lesbian cousin, and that would make everybody at the family upset. Okay, so now your family's a mess? Well, let's fix the fix. Let's fix this thing before we got to keep having fixes here. Amen? You see, God speaks to us like he speaks to Abraham. Hey, let's go. It's my way now. Let's go. And you know what puts the fear of God in me? And I mean this because the Bible says this. If you don't do it, he'll go to another, and what you have will be taken from you and given to another. I just wonder, in the history of the Bible, were there others called that didn't listen? So sometimes you look at the, the foreknowledge of God, Joe B, as it had to always be Abraham. But was it Abraham because it was always Abraham without a choice? Or was it Abraham because God knew others would fail and it was Abraham's choice? Do you get the dilemma there? It's like, which side am I going to go on? I tend to be on the side that God knew it would be Abraham, but it's because Abraham made the choice. In other words, there may have been others God was speaking to. I know it for a fact in the other portions of the Bible. What Judas did wasn't meant to be Judas's best. It would have been better for him never been born, the Bible says. But God allowed him to be born and make his choice, but then God had a replacement for him, who I believe was the Apostle Paul. You see, you're replaceable in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. I'm just going to say that to you very gently and very nicely. You're replaceable. Well, pastor, I'm such an important part of this church. I'm like Jessica and Salvador. Okay, listen, you know, Jessica and Salvador leave. We're still here. What if I say back to God, well, I'm the pastor of Metro Praise. We're such a unique church. God, I'm irreplaceable. God will have Joe B. to be the pastor next week. We're all replaceable, but it's our choice to whether or not we want to be in the vision of God. You see, Abraham could have been replaced. There could have been another person we would have known other than Abraham who would have been the founding father of the Jewish faith, which then birthed the Christian faith. Yeah, we would have known that person instead of Abraham, but here's the thing. Abraham chose to be that guy. Don't pass me up, Lord. So I just wonder on your job how many there are that God is speaking to. If he's speaking to you, be that person. If not, he'll go to the next one. I'm talking about promotions. I'm talking about blessings. I'm talking about the next Chick-fil-A. Think about it like this. God says to a man, I want you to reinvent fast food. It's already been done. Watch the McDonald's documentaries. Get them in, get them out, feed them, stuff it in their mouth, fast food. That's what it is. No, I want you to change the whole way they do fast food. How many have ever been to Popeye's before? How many have ever been to Chick-fil-A before? How many know there's a difference? 
Okay? So God's speaking to a man going, hey, I want you to change the way fast food is done. I want them to address sharply. When the people come in, instead of acting like you're doing them a favor, I want you to go out of your way to love and to serve. Instead of acting like, oh, here's your chicken. That's how Popeye's feels to me. Like, I feel like I have to say to Popeye's, hey, it was my pleasure. Can you just please give me my food now and not hurt me? Baby, I lived in New Orleans over eight years. I've been to where it comes from. I've been to the original churches and Popeyes on every corner, and they all come from New Orleans. Listen to me. When I've gone to churches and to Popeyes, it's like, here you go, baby, take it. And I'm supposed to say, oh, thank you. Just please don't hurt me. Just let me get my food and go out of here. How many know the church's chicken there on Western and, and North had to get shut down? It was Western and what? Western and uh, Division. Had to get shut down shooting up there. But you go to Chick fil A, ah, ah, But hey, somebody had to have that vision. God had to speak that to somebody. You're going to change the way they do fast food. <laughs> fast food, come on. I'll start fine dining. I'll do this. I'll do, I'm not going to change the way we do fast food. I can imagine the discussion there. This is the way you're going to do it. You're going to treat them like this. You're going to have a Christian worldview. You're going to close on Sunday. On Sunday, the day where everybody's out with their family eating, the day we all eat, that's the day I'm, yeah, you're going to close on that day. See, where's that next idea coming from? I was just watching a documentary about Steve Jobs. Now he started that uh, personal computer revelation, uh, revolution. And my dad remembers it, hearing it from Gates and these different guys. We're going to put a computer in every home. We're going to make it personable. We're going to do these things. That was when computers weren't in every home. But somebody had to have a dream and a vision for it. I'm tired of the world showing us how to be more like Abraham than Christians. I'm tired of hearing Christians complain, well, Biden's president, well, this one is president. When Daniel was in Babylon, they put him and his friends, or put his friends, him in a lion's den, and him and his friends in a fiery furnace. He went to the lion's den, his friends went to the furnace, and that's what their troubles were. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? Let's be great for God. They understood, this is not our home as it is. This place will change. God's bringing another city down here. I'm sticking around until it comes in Jesus' name. Amen? Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, highlight reasoned in your book or your, your Bible or your app. See, this is not blind faith. This is not wishing upon a star. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive back Isaac from death. Now, skid it. Come on. Lucas, come up here for me, please. Let's give it up for Lucas as he comes forward here. Hopefully, this will not add to his counseling as he becomes an adult. Church kids, always pray for them. You like being a church kid? Yeah. I can tell that's faked. Now, if you say it really well, I'll give you ice cream when you come home. I'm half kidding now. Do you like being a church kid? Yeah. <laughs> here he is. Now, stand there and be awkward, okay? But face them. There we go. Okay? Let's, let's take this out of the make-believe. Well, Abraham was told to do something way back then. That's make-believe. No, no, no. Real Abraham, real Isaac. Not psychopath, drown your children in the, the tub type stuff. No. The same God that he has heard speak to him to leave his family and to give him a promised child is now speaking to sacrifice that child. How do I know this is not 
I've lost my mind and you know, God told me to jump off the bridge with my kids, which sadly has happened. How do I know? It's because if Abraham knew how to trust God at 75 to have a baby with his wife at 100, he knew how to hear from God. Can I hear an amen? I'm being very clear here. This does not give people permission to do wicked things in the name of God. This is someone who has heard from God, okay, to have the child to begin with. The child is a miracle. But now, notice this, real child. We don't have time to go into the story of Genesis, but he brings his boy with him and a servant. I believe this is going to represent the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because what's going to eventually happen? The Father's going to give his son, and there won't be an intervention at the time of death, but a darkness that covers the land. And so there's going to be a trust here. And so what I believe God is asking Abram, Abraham to do here is to get his heart. We think about this being so outlandish that we can't see the lesson the lesson that God is giving here is that I want someone to know what I'm going to feel like in a few thousand years. So since Abraham is a founding father of faith, he chooses him to feel what it feels like. So now imagine, we're going to go sacrifice. And then Isaac asked his dad, Dad, where's the lamb? Go ahead and ask me that. Where's the land? And you know what then Abraham says? God himself will provide the lamb. That's still scary for him because there's no lamb. And now, and now if we do this in the thing, put him on the altar. Wrap him up. Faith. And at the moment where he's about ready to pierce through his son, his actual son, God stops him and says, Abraham! Now I know, you know what I feel. Now I know you trust me. There's a ram in the thicket. Go get the ram. Come on, give it up for Lucas. Amen. No sacrifice for you today, son. Nothing but ice cream and happy times with grandma and grandpa. Make sure you tell the counselor that, okay? <laughs> My dad was a pastor and he would bring me on stage. One time he said I was Isaac, he was going to kill me. Nobody knows the problems church kids have. <sighs> would you do it? Yay, we would all do it. No, I'll be honest. Would you do it? When was the last time you felt something like that and you sacrificed it? I'm not talking about giving away those old pair of shoes you don't wear anymore. I'm talking about that thing you just bought that you love the most and God says, give it away. And you go, okay, you get it. Not the used ones, the new ones. I'm talking about you looking at a down payment for a house and God saying, that's your mission budget. Or you being on the job and making the most you've ever made and God says, now you start your business. How many of us can actually say we relate to that? I, in my life of serving the Lord now almost 30 years, have only been to where Abraham is in a small way, maybe a handful of times. Maybe I can count on this hand. And it's those times that you feel the fear the most. And you wonder, do you really know how to hear from God? Is this really happening? Because it's at that moment you get to decide, do I do this when it feels good or do I do it because he's worth it? If you're a fair weather friend of God, you will only be obedient to discomfort. And what you will then notice is that you'll never grow beyond your discomforts. What God asks us as Christians to do is to trust him in our discomforts. 
Many of you now look at me as the guy who street preaches all the time, the pastor who's on the streets. I was just out there by God's grace this Sunday morning having the honor to stand out there with a Bible in hand waving at people as they went by. I can only imagine what they were thinking, right? But you see me as that person. But having my parents here as another illustration, they remember when I wasn't that person. And do you know where God asked me to street preach the first time? It wasn't to strangers. It wasn't going to another city on a mission trip to the African village. Jesus loves you. Now take a picture with me so I can show all my friends how generous and kind I am like Angelina Jolie. The first time I ever preached openly the gospel was in Fryman Square where the skateboarders hung out during the Three Rivers Festival. And you, 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 you want to talk about being nervous? I couldn't even remember the English language. I couldn't remember what I was going to say. I didn't even know why I had gone there to begin with by myself. I just remember the first things that I did was I held up my Bible and I said, I used to be a sinner and many of my friends are here right now, but now Jesus Christ has saved me and changed me and he'll do the same for you. Within the next few moments, people started to curse at me, to speak ill of me, to call out my name, and one guy got in my face and wanted to start a fight with me and it was one of my other friends that said, you don't know who this is. This is Crazy Joe. This dude was crazier than all of us. Let him speak. And that young man is still in my life today. And that other young man that wanted to beat me up stayed in my life for quite some time. See, that's how I first started, going right out there. Then I started, by God's grace, going to the inner city. I had to overcome my fears. I didn't think I would be that guy. That's not my calling. I, I'm a Christian. I don't do this. You know, at least I'm going to heaven. I never even seen anybody do it. I remember when my friends came back from Bible college that I knew at the church, some of those stories I was telling you before, when they came back, they said, what are you doing? I said, look, I'm going to take you out and show you how to do it. They said, we've never even seen that before. I started showing my friends how to street preach when I had never done it before. And I didn't even go to a church that did it. I had, there was no videos of how to do it. There was nothing that influenced me to do it other than God. But I had to go. And here's the thing. You wouldn't have known that God was telling me to do that. That was between him and I. So what if I would have stayed home that day? What if I never would have taken that, that, that time to get over my stuttering or my fear or my anxiety, that pressure that I felt, that, that nervous energy? You wouldn't be in this church today. And what if every pastor, every Christian didn't step out of their comfort zone? None of this would be getting done today. I thank God for the missionaries that went. Do you think those who went to the, the jungles of Ecuador during the 50s and 60s of the documentary at the end of the spear wanted to go there and be martyred and leave their wives and children at the early age of 20-something? Do you think that was in their own heart to, do, to go be martyrs in Central America? But they heard the word of the Lord. They had a promise that there's a heavenly home coming to this earth, and before that home comes, they're going to populate it. They're going to plunder hell and populate heaven. Abraham is an example to us that it's whether it's for our job or our ministry or even believing like my wife and I to have six children. Some of you look at me now as the one who drives the 15-passenger van to church. 
Some of you look at me as the pastor that has all the kids. We're joked around about that. Who's going who's to pass up pastor? I would love to see you try. Let's go. I'm on six. Where are you at? Some went to four, and then they get snipped. And I tease my men here that get snipped, and I go, I will never get snipped. I looked at my wife, and I said, that will never happen. That's why she just got pregnant the other day. We had a miscarriage, but pray for it. We will keep having babies until the Lord says to stop, because I ain't getting snipped. Not round hell. But they're like, we won't catch up with you, Pastor. Okay, give it a try. But here's the thing. It's not a race. But you know what? I was scared to have that first child. Scared. I was living on Potomac and Lawndale. Y'all know why I was scared. How many know where Potomac and Lawndale is? That's called Humboldt Park, baby. I was living over there, and I was coming home with one of the church kids one time. Pop, boom, pop, boom. I hear this loud noise. I wonder what happened. I see a bunch of gangbangers throwing signs at us. We get out the car. When we get to my house, they threw bricks at our car. I got to go talk to Flacco over there. Look, man, I live in your neighborhood. Whatever sets you're claiming, man, you got to stop doing this to me. I live here. And then if you think that was enough, I have the white police officer. Here I am, the gringo, and I get pulled over. Going to my own house. Get out the car. Get out. What you doing in this neighborhood? Now listen to me, Steve. Listen to me, Jeremy. Calm down. No, no, you tell me where you live. And I'm like, I live right here. Well, you show me where your house is. My house is. He thought I was buying crack or something. I'm just being honest with you. Then my van got stolen twice. Not once, but twice. Somebody say twice. Twice. One time it goes, they take the catalytic converter. I went to go see my van in the dump at the pound. I'm like thinking to myself, I feel so bad for you, van. Come on back home with me. Come on back home. I go to Aaron's Glass right over here. I'm in Milwaukee, get that, get that window fixed, park it right there in front of my house. Two days later, they take that van again. Like that poor van. And they take the catalytic converter again. So I'm almost like, I'm just going to leave this thing off and feel like I'm driving a hot rod everywhere, you know? Am I lying right now, Nancy? I'm telling the truth. So that's when I first got my first shotgun, and I said, we're going to put an end to this. I'm going to go bat nut crazy if I have to, but they're going to stop messing with my stuff. No, I'm kidding. But I'm like, i got to protect myself, selling drugs in front of my house. My house was the drug trap house, I guess. I don't know what used to be going on there, but they loved my corner. And my kitchen window was the sidewalk. Like, literally, I could just open up my window and be like, hey, what's up, dude? You guys doing a two-for-one sale? I don't know, because I see you got a lot of people on the street right now. But, hey, if you could just do me a favor, if you could just go down like 10 more steps that way, you wouldn't be in front of my kitchen window. At 2 in the morning. Am I lying, Nancy? God strike me if I'm lying. I'm sitting down with Tisa. I'm, I'm having, I'm just going to say this, P PG. I'm having sex recreationally, but not to have babies, okay? And we ha we're using protection and doing birth control. We're not wanting to have babies. Why, man? I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm not bringing a child into the hood. That's how I felt. Somebody say, scared white boy. <laughs> Some of you like, man, pastor, I grew up there. Who was messing with you? Was that Mario? Was that so-and-so? I know them. I want to talk to them. That's Cynthia right there. You'd be like, I know them. I went to school with them. Why are you scaring this white boy? Leave him alone. Come on, be nice to him. So I'm out with Tisa, our missionary to Africa, and what happened? She's like, 
have, have you guys had kids yet? And, and I'm like, but, 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 Tisa, but, but, we're, we're not ready. But, but, Tisa, I grew up in the suburbs, and I'm used to having a backyard and places where they don't steal my van every day and sell drugs in front of my kitchen window. But, but, Tisa, I'm not ready. And you know what this missionary said to me who was serving the Lord over 10 years in South Africa, working in, a, in a, an orphanage? You know what she said to me? She said, when you started that church, did you wait for all the people to come? Or did you start with what you had and have faith? Because I was already a pastor. And I said, I started with faith with no one, just Jessica and Salvador. I just started with whoever came to that home Bible study. She said, you do the same for your children right now. You start right now, start having children. And you let God provide for you. Now, don't ask me where I live now, because I do live in the suburbs, but <laughs> God gave me my dream house. But listen, I'm telling you, I would have stayed in the city and kept having babies. That was God's will. The only reason I moved out is I couldn't afford it anymore. I have six kids, you know what I'm saying? I need a backyard to have them go out there all day. We homeschool. We're a weird family. My, I'm sure my neighbors are like, what are they doing out there? We have so many things going on back in that yard, because we use it part of our learning experiments out there. But listen, I was willing to start having children, and God is my witness. The first day I brought baby Bethany, to Lawndale and Potomac. Girl, you were born in the hood. The first day I brought her home, instead of grabbing the shotgun, loading it up, and all of this, I felt safe. And they stopped stealing my van. And the drug dealers weren't in front of my house anymore. I'm, I'm being honest with you. And then within a few years or a year or something, how long did she live there for? A year or two after that? So less than a year, we needed a space for our Bible college students, and this place was perfect for them. I'm like, y'all living in the hood. We're going to see if you really love Jesus. So we put our interns in there, and then we moved to another house, and I've been blessed ever since. But listen, I still would go back, so don't think I'm weak, okay? Just a little, just a little, just a little. No, but I was like, I'm going to trust God, and he made a way. Let's be honest. Where's your Lawndale right now? Where's your Potomac? Where's your house in the hood? What's your Isaac, and are you willing to lay it down? You have to trust God. God asked Abraham to trust him from beginning to end, and he was willing to do it. Daryl, would you come to the keyboard, please, in, in closing? The Bible goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 11, now about his son, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By, by God's grace, next week we'll study about Joseph. But that's the end of Hebrews about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can I have Titus come up here, please? I'm going to use this one as an illustration. He won't remember this anyways. Let's give it up for Titus as he comes. Titus, you like being a church kid? Yeah. Awesome. Do you know why the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessed each other from generation to generation? It was so that their story could be shared from one to another. And so this would be my story to my son. Daddy wasn't always a Christian. I wasn't always a pastor. I used to be a bad boy. I was a bad person. But your grandma and grandpa, my mom and dad, prayed for me. And they saw me come to Jesus at the kitchen table. And then you know what? I went away from my family to school to learn how to be a preacher like I am today. And many years later, I met your mom. And we began to have children like you.
And that's why today you're in a happy home that's blessed and a church that loves Jesus. And I hope that you never forget that and that you pass this on to your children and to their children. Amen? Yeah, amen. All right, let's give it up for Titus. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Would you stand up with me as we prepare to close out today? What story are you going to pass on to your children? What would you say to them right now if this was your last day? God forbid. We're not wishing that upon anybody. But what would you say? And then those of you that are young in the Elevate, what would you say to the younger kids in Elevate right now? If you would never go back to Elevate and that was your last day, what would you want them to know? Hey, I became a Christian, not just because of my mom and dad, but because I met Jesus. I was in junior high. I was in high school, and God changed my life, and I would come to this church, come to these altars, and the Lord would meet me there. Is that what you would say? I hope you would. And then you could tell your story. And before then, I wasn't maybe getting good grades, or I didn't feel good about life, but now I do. Here's these testimonies. What would you hand down to your child, uh, Carlos, to Bertha, to Joselito, should that day come? This is what my story is. This is how God's been faithful. And then Joselito and Bertha, what are you going to hand down to Jenna and to your children so that that story can be passed down? You see, each generation thought in some they weren't. Abraham thought, man, if I do this right promised land thing, I'll probably see heaven open up and then it come right down. That's what he thought. But the Bible says he died while still believing. It never came to pass in his lifetime. The same thing is with the church and the early disciples. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But what happens? Paul, he's arrested. Peter, he's been crucified upside down. James, the brother of Jesus, has been stoned. Doubting Thomas, he's not doubting anymore, but he's been speared in India. Imagine you're in that first generation, Liam. Jesus said he would build the church. Yay! But where's the church? They're dying. We're all dying. They're hunting us down. We're living in caves. Wait till we get to the end of Hebrews. If I can read it without crying, that will be a miracle. Because wait till we get there. It's going to say some of them were destitute, had to cover themselves in animal skin to go by night through the fields. But imagine being in that cave as they met for church. Many of our first artifacts for Christians is in our tombs. The same place we would bury our brothers and sisters is where they would have church because they were in the caves. But imagine one saying to another, we may be dying. We may be getting killed. But God's word is going to come to pass. Well, I don't know, brother. I don't. Yes, listen to me, young brother. I've been around long enough. God's word will come to pass. Just like he saved you. He saved me. I came from Corinth. I was a pagan. God saved me. You came from Crete. You followed the philosophers. And God's going to save Rome. And just, just, just imagine being in that, in that cave. And then the man saying, Rome? You, you believe God is going to save Rome? Yeah. God can save Rome. Why did the Roman Catholic Church start in Rome? Because that was the capital city. When Christianity started there, it took over the whole empire. But what did it take? 300 plus years of martyrs. Imagine being handed this down to you by a martyr. Ignatius was on his way to being 
fed to wild beasts. That's why if you ever see a Saint Ignatius, you don't have to do the sign of the cross, but just thank the Lord for that brother. He was on his way to be eaten by beasts, wild beasts and the Roman gladiators in the early hundreds, like 90 ID, I believe. He hands off his letters to his associate and says, pass these around. And imagine you getting that letter. And inside of the letter, you know what Ignatius put there? He said, as we take communion and the bread is mauled in our mouth, I will now be the communion of God in the lion's mouth. That's how Christianity grew. Long before the conquistadors, long before they became governmental leaders, long before they started fighting wars in their European nations and all of that. No, this is how Ethiopia became Christian. This is how Egypt became Christian. This is why there's still a Christian population in northern India. This is how the Middle East was being won to the Lord until Islam took it over. Syria and Iran were Christian nations. Iraq was a Christian nation. This is how they preached the gospel all through Europe. Some people make fun of us and they say, oh, you conquered all those. No, no. Vikings came to Jesus Christ on their knees. Their king, the king of the Vikings, came to Christ on his knees. I was in a debate one time and these warlocks and witches were trying to say, you converted over the Vikings through force. And I had a Viking. He now he worships Odin. But he said, no, 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 no. That's not the truth. The Viking came willingly to Christianity. He corrected them in the history. Vikings came on their knees to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they saw our martyrs. They saw us living for Jesus, and they never saw the promises. Now we live in a generation where they've had Christianity, and now Christianity has died. Who's going to be the Abraham today? Come on, brothers and sisters. Just be patient. Just a few more moments. Who's going to be the Abraham today and believe this? Listen, listen. God can save Chicago. Anybody believe it? God can save Rome once used to be the craziest statement. You mean God can save Rome? Yep, and he did. God can save Chicago. Do you know that slavery used to be a thing in this nation? And people before that were known as abolitionists, led by Christians. Learn all about Harriet Tubman. Learn all about the, the, the founders of the black, uh, uh, the Underground Railroad and the, the freedom for the African-American and the black leaders of that time. Learn all about them. They were Christians. They sang spiritual hymns and songs. They were not Muslims. They were not Buddhists. And they were not atheists. They were Christians. But listen, as surely as they looked one to another and said, slavery will end. I'm looking at you now asking if anybody believes abortion will end end. Is there any Abrahams in here today that believe abortion will end? Gender confusion will end. Homosexual promotion of of a perversion will end. Oh, it's never been. Well, in some ways it's never been like this, but trust me, it's been like this before. Emperors have been gay. In Rome, they were pedophiles. All of these things have happened in that way before, and God transformed those nations. My wife's people, the Greek people, were some of the most perverse people that were ever on the planet, and yet the Greek people now have been known for the Greek Orthodox Church. Sadly, many of them don't live for it, but the nation of Greece was one to the Lord. Turkey was one to the Lord. It's time to come back, brothers and sisters, to the Word and believe it. Amen? Father, we ask you to help us to believe now. 
Make us Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah in this place. Before we go, if you don't know the Lord, one more time, we ask you to call on his name, be born again. My wife led in prayer earlier. You can pray on your own now. In a few moments, these altars will be open. You can come forward and say, hey, I want to be a Christian. I want to learn how to do this. This time will be for you. The rest of us, let's pray right now to look in our lives and see what places of faith do we need to step into. Let's stop laughing at the things of God. Let's stop saying this can't happen and start believing anything's possible to those that believe. My marriage can be healed. My children can be saved. My nation can be won. Young people can be delivered. A city can change its ways of corruption. A few moments right now, I'm believing with you. Come on, my heart is in Chicago with you today. My heart is here for your families. Believe with me, brothers and sisters. Should the Lord tarry, we will see revival in the land. We will see transformation. We won't be known for our exportation of perversion to the, to the world. Our internet will not be used primarily for pornography. We believe purity can come. There will be a city one day coming from heaven, but now's the time to populate it. Now's the time we populate it. We populate heavenly Jerusalem by plundering hell. And Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. Father, do it and use us. A few moments right now can change your life. Just pray with me, brothers and sisters. What's your step of faith? Where do you got to go? What do you got to do? Business, church-wise. Have you ever led a Bible study before? Get trained here to lead one and start one. Have you ever been street preaching? Go and do it. Have you ever got a promotion on your job? Believe for it. Have you ever started a business? It's not too late. Have you ever been happily married? Today can be your day. Have you ever seen your house in order and your children listen, obey? This can be your day. Don't give up. A few moments right now, I'm praying for change. I'm praying for change. Remember he said, Abraham looked ahead and he wasn't looking back because if you look back, you can't go ahead. I pray now that we see more about heavenly Jerusalem. We see more of these things than we do the past. Paul said, I forget that which is behind me and I look towards that which is ahead. Father, give us the future. Give us the future, oh God. We need dreams. We need visions. Take us out of, God, middle life, midlife crises. Take us out of our dead dream, uh, you know, our lives where it's just dead-end jobs or dreams that have died. Resurrect in us new things, oh God. We're not here for an ordinary life, but something extraordinary. A few more moments, God, use me. Use me, Father. My dad is here, and I'm going to have him come up and get ready to close us out in prayer because he's going to testify in just a few moments about what God is doing, him, uh, doing with him in this retirement stage of his life. But, friends, you don't stop until you meet Jesus in heaven. It's not over till he says it's over. You keep running. We don't give up. Dad, if you can make your way up here now, please. We're going to keep praying just a few more moments, and I'm going to have you testify. Father, I thank you that there is nothing impossible in this room. Addictions can be broken in this room. If you're here with addictions, do not leave until we pray for you. Addictions can be broken. If you feel attacked by the devil, don't leave this place until you know you're free. Mental anguish, depression, anxiety. We're not against good doctors, but we want to pray with you. Let the mental anguish in. Let change come. A few moments right now, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that the faith that you gave Abraham through the word, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, that that faith you gave Abraham will raise up in every person's life right now.
in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Before we go, I'm going to have my dad testify. I had my mom testify in the first service about losing her daughter, my sister, to drinking and driving and how she could drink the cup of suffering with the blessing of the Lord. Now to be fitting towards this message about a message of faith, my dad retired to Florida, which is most Midwesterners' dream. When you are in that retirement village there, that Del Webb, how many are from Florida compared to how many are from other places? Just a small number or? Small. So most of the people are from where? The Midwest and North? North, East, yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah, so not from there. So that's everybody's dream, isn't it? Get out of here. Get away from the cold. They play golf. They have all of these things over there. But you know what? God put something on my dad's heart called Ocala for Jesus. Most people probably in that retirement village don't even give two hoots about what's going on in Ocala because they live in their own little world. But dad, tell them what God told you to do in your 70s for Ocala for Jesus. Now let me tell you about Ocala for Jesus was started because of the vision here in Chicago. Chicago for Jesus was our influence. So we started Ocala for Jesus in 2016. Yeah, 2016. So what we do is, uh, again, being modeled after Chicago for Jesus. So we go to the homeless shelters. We go to the parks. We go to the skate parks. We go all over the city preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. That's it. We preach the gospel. We go wherever we can, and people wonder, what are you doing? You're 77 years old. No. We've got people, we've got people in our group that are our age a little bit, a little bit younger. Most I'm probably the oldest guy in, in the group right now. But uh, anyway, Ocala for Jesus started because of Chicago for Jesus. Your influence, whatever is being done in Ocala, Florida right now, is because of the influence we had from o Chicago for Jesus. So we go out all over all over the cities, just preaching the gospel. So what we did is I just uh, didn't retire. I refired for Jesus. Amen. Oh, yeah, the vets, yeah. So what we also did is I volunteer at the Veterans Helping Veterans Center. So Ocala for Jesus, we started a chaplain program there. We have 14 chaplains. We started a chaplain program to reach the veterans uh, available whenever we can. Again, that's all influenced because of uh, for Chicago. Everything that we do in, in, in um, Ocala has been modeled after Chicago for Jesus. You get that Polish? The Polish. We, yeah, we go to the Interfaith, which is a homeless shelter, okay? And one of the things that we do versus all the other churches, different ministries that go there, we make it known. We say, you notice that we don't have any, we're not giving you anything. We don't give food, we don't give anything. I said, the only thing that we're doing is we're giving the word of God. And we just bring the gospel to them. We go there twice a, uh, twice a month. Then we go to the skateboard, well, we had gone to the skateboard park every Saturday for two years straight. And now what we're going to start doing, which is really great, is one of the guys in our group had a vision. There's um, a park, a big park. And they have youth football that plays. They start in the morning, 8 o'clock. They play to about 8 p.m. So we, we all agreed we're going to start in August, every Saturday, for a couple hours. We'll be setting up our stage over there, right at the entrance as they're going in there with the gospel, with the, with the stuff. So, I mean, again, that's all, that's, all, that's all we do. Were you a pastor? No. What did you do for a living? I was a certified financial planner. Certified financial planner. Was your dad a pastor? No. What was he? 
My dad was a, a postal worker, and then he was also he had a real estate business. So listen to this. I'm the first generation pastor, but my dad caught ministry as he got closer and closer to what we were doing here. And instead of retiring off just being a financial planner, he went and got ordained and became a chaplain to the vets, a servant to the homeless ministry, and a leader of evangelism now in the church that he's working at. Thank you, Dad. Amen. So let's go. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless us, help us have a wonderful day, and keep us in your will. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you, saints. Have a wonderful day. Talk to my mom and dad if you want to hear some stories about my past.